0: You know uh sometimes, on this show, we fall into the habit of uh condemning all leftists as uh, godless buffoons who hate America and everything it stands for and who are sort of preen themselves on being. Uh, having this kind of elite status that they in no way deserve. Uh, we'll also have Christina Hoffsummer here uh, to talk about the war against manhood and Harvey Weinstein and all sorts of things. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I will hunky-dunk. Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing hunky dunky Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world zing It's a wonderful Ooh day, Hurrah, hooray It makes me want to wait. sing Oh, hurrah! hooray All right, it is Mailbag Eve. It is the, yeah, the, the day before the Mailbag. You want to get your questions in. If you're a subscriber, if you're paying your lousy ten bucks a month, or if you've paid $100 a hundred bucks for a whole year, and you're sitting there sipping your leftist tears tumbler, which you get with a year subscription, you can ask questions. And the way you do it is you go on. Let's let me get this right, because I'm always afraid I'm gonna. You press the podcast button, yes. and then.
1: Press the Andrew Clavin Show. Andrew Clavin
0: Show. And then there's a little mailbag button. And then there is a mailbag button. You can ask anything you want, personal questions, religious questions. We really get some great questions, and yes, yeah, so so go deep, go deep, because because the answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. But you have to subscribe. So that's the mailbag coming up. I also just want to I have to say this. You know, we've been touting, I've been plugging this thing, uh, Another Kingdom, this fantasy suspense story that I've done with Michael Knowles. Knowles, I wrote it. Knowles is performing it, and it's been just getting these great reviews. It's getting great numbers. It's really doing well, and I hope you'll go on iTunes and subscribe and rate it. It helps us. But it finally got a not—I mean, it's getting ecstatic reviews, and it's finally got a not-ecstatic review. The guy loved the story, loved the story, but he hated Knowles. (laughs) He says, he says, I do not know what Knowles has on Claven or the Daily Wire that they keep involving him in projects. There has to be something in the closet to continue to push this no talent hack into every aspect of the Daily Wire sphere. And I, I just wanted to address that. You remember yesterday I was talking about the fact that Knowles Inexplicably, is engaged this absolutely terrific woman, uh, Elisa, and um, it, we're trying to get her free. Basically, we're trying yeah. to convince him to let her go without you know anybody getting hurt. And so you have to subscribe to uh, you know the uh, to another kingdom. And uh, ben- eventually, if we give him enough love, we may be able to coax him out of the house, and Elisa can then run out the back door. And that's, yeah. that's now everything is explained. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, if there is one thing that I know about, look at me. You just have to look at me. You know, there's one, you can guess what I know about. It is shaving because I do a lot of shaving every day. I have a lot of real estate that has to be shaved and even before I came here to work at the Daily Wire, even before they became my sponsor, I was a member of the Daily Dollar Shave Club, do- dollarshaveclub.com and the reason is they instead of going to the store, first of all, instead of going to the store and getting a disposable razor which you know, you just have to wait till it runs out. And the way you find that it runs out is blood is (laughs) streaming like. And also they lock them away. I guess people must shoplift them because they lock them away. So you just get, you just sign on for the kind of razor you want. They send it to you. And they have all kinds of other products that really make shaving kind of fun. I use their butter. They have this uh, clear butter. So you can actually see what you're doing. I started out with what they call the humble twin, just two blades. Now I'm using their super duper razor, which is app. It is incredible. I mean, I shaved with it about two hours ago it is still shit. there's so many blades on it it is still passing over my head keeping me keeping me great shave it's just so much easier plus plus It's the holidays coming, so it's a great time to give the Dollar Shave Club a try, and you can get your first month of their best razor along with travel-sized versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even butt wipes. (laughs) I I have not tried these for just $5. $5, they send you a kit. It's very cool. They send you a kit, and after that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's the DSC Starter Set, and you can get yours for just $5 exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com dot com slash claven dollarshaveclub.com slash claven and for just five bucks they will send you their starter kit and then it just it's so easy to do after this you don't have to take any trips to the store and they have all kinds of products and um it just shows up and you can press if you don't want it for one month you can just press a button so skip the month it's really easy. All right um I want to talk about God. I'm gonna talk about God. We're gonna get Yeah I know I know boo god well that's what we've been hearing for two days boo god so You know, I don't actually like the way uh, God is presented. I especially hate the way that God is presented in the arts and stories. Uh, You know, Christian art used to be the greatest art on earth, and now it's kind of anodyne. It's sort of uh, smiley-faced. Everything is going to be good because Jesus is here, and then when we die, we float up to heaven on these golden wings. And you wonder why people don't believe this stuff. You know, and it's it's like it's it really is interesting and. I'm not, you know, when I was when I was going through the the struggle to convert, I talk about this in The Great Good Thing, my memoir, about how I went from being a, an agnostic, really an atheist Jew, to being a believing Christian, and it was a struggle, you know, and as I was struggling, one of the things I was afraid of is that I'm a very hard-boiled novelist. The stuff I write, the stories I write, have a very hard edge to them, and I, I kept saying Please, Lord, whatever happens, don't turn me into a Christian novelist because I didn't want to end up writing these stories like, you know, God is not dead and the prayer of the war room and all these stories that make a gazillion dollars. And and I, I have nothing against them. They represent faith in the same way that romantic comedies represent love. That is, they represent a fantasy of faith. And there's nothing wrong with going to the movies to catch up on your fantasies and all this stuff. But there really is a problem in describing the world in Christian terms because, what you're talking about is something invisible, which is faith. And you know, I don't even like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers. I love his philosophy and his uh, Christian writing, but I'm not a big fan of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe stories, the Narnia stories. And the reason I'm not is because they start out with great premises, great fairy tale premises, and then Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, shows up and everything is solved. And that's kind of the problem with Christian writing, is Jesus solves everything. And in our, in our life, of course, we have faith that everything has a broader framework uh, in which we live, and that will, in fact, bring turn everything to the good. But in our life, there's a lot of grief and pain. And one of the things I'm struggling with now as a writer, uh, this happened to Wordsworth. Wordsworth became a Christian and never wrote a good poem again. And people say, well, he, you know, he kind of lost it. But no, he solved the problems he was writing about. And I'm struggling with this in my own writing. I think I've actually found a way forward and another kingdom the <laughs> Is one of my first products in this thing is how do I write about the suffering of the world from a position of faith, and how do I write stuff that's not uh, smiley, happy talk stuff? Some of the people who listen to Another Kingdom are complaining because there's some language in it. I actually wrote the first draft, the entire first draft, without any cursing in it, and I just thought this is not the world. I'm not doing my job as an artist, as a guy, as a guy who got appointed to be an artist. I'm not doing my job of representing the world, and so I went through it and actually put the cursing back in, just where it would be. Not there's not. Um, million curse words. is just where the guy would curse, he curses. So I, I do not like this, uh, this idea of Christianity as being a kind of panacea, and that's what the left is reacting to. So after the tragedy in Texas, people offered thoughts and prayers. And you know, The left just comes out, and it's ugly. They come out, and they hate on you for this thoughts and prayers thing. Some of this stuff was really—when Paul Ryan had this tweet, this actor, Will Wheaton, just called him a filthy name because he was having the prayers, and Wheaton, to his credit, apologized. He said he was speaking in anger. You know, I I get that. You know, I was angry, too. I understand, so he made a mistake. But still, a lot of this stuff came out. And, you know, if you're wondering—well, let's take it. We have a montage of the news selling this— Meme of like let's not go to the thoughts and prayers stuff They were
1: already praying Thoughts and prayers did not stop an oversight from the justice system which enabled a guy who attacked his stepson and assaulted his wife From getting a gun Thoughts and prayers didn't stop a troubled person from buying assault-grade weapons that took the lives of 26 people in an instant
2: Uh, We see a pattern uh, in elected officials saying uh, we need to send our thoughts and prayers to the families, to the victims, uh, but then not proposing any action.
3: And this morning, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Seattle responded. They were praying when it happened. They don't need our prayers. They need us to address the gun violence crisis and pass sensible regulation.
1: Thoughts and prayers are not enough. Moments of silence are not enough. Maybe, Mr. Speaker, instead of a moment of silence, the American people could get a moment of action. Now is the time for action. We are past the point. Of platitudes and prayers.
2: Send, prayer. send the people of Texas your thoughts and your prayers. But first, send them money. How about that? Yeah?
1: Send them money. But right now, these thoughts and prayers and sympathies have become a, a, a mask for inaction. Our thoughts and prayers
2: are not even close to enough.
0: Now, the. A lot of people wonder where this came from because it's like a talking point. They're all doing it, and I believe it came from a comedy routine by Anthony Jeselnik uh, that was put out on uh, Netflix, I think, in 2015, and Jeselnik does this routine. He's a, I really like him. He's a really funny comedian, and his routine is, I'm a bad guy. I'm the guy who says all the terrible things. I have no heart. I'm creepy, you know, all this stuff, and he does this routine. That's that's his Uh, his persona as he does this thing and he did did this routine and I think this is where this all started.
1: People will say Anthony what's funny about Aurora what's funny about the Boston Marathon what's funny about your grandmother's funeral. Nothing nothing is funny about those things that's where I come in (laughs) so I see these texts and I'm like oh no what happened but I also think I've got a job to do This is who I'm making fun of when I make a joke on Twitter the day of a tragedy. The people who see something horrible happen in the world and they run to the internet and they run to their social media, their Facebook, their Twitter, whatever they got, and they all write down the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers. (laughs) My thoughts and prayers with the people in Aurora. My thoughts and prayers with the families in Boston. Do you know what that's worth? (laughs) Nothing.
0: So so the whole routine, the whole show is called Thoughts and Prayers, and I believe that this is where it started, because I didn't hear this before. So think about that for a minute. This is the left basically looking at this guy playing a dirtbag, that's his persona, and saying, yeah, that's what we want to be like. We want to be like (laughs) this guy, you know, and they're doing it seriously. But I wouldn't pick on them for it if it weren't inherent in their philosophy. Remember back in the 2012 convention when they tried to put, they had taken, purposely taken God out of the platform. They had taken any mention of God out of the platform. And the mayor of Los Angeles got up and he took a voice vote, can we put God back in? And they started booing him because he said, well, the eyes have it. The third time he tried it, he said, the eyes have it. And it was clear he was wrong. The people in the crowd were right. You couldn't tell that the eyes had won the day. But the People who were so they were yelling at him because he put God back in, basically against the will of the Democratic Party. They booed. They denied God thrice. It seems to me that has happened once before, but I can't uh, remember. Yeah, really it, 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 it sounds familiar. But yeah, so, so you know this whole idea, well, it didn't save them, it didn't save them, and of course, Christians don't think that it's going to save you. Christians don't think that we can pray and get only good things in the world. We know that there's suffering in the world. Why do we know this? Because God has made us free. He has freed us for freedom, and we know that in a world of freedom, bad things must be allowed. See, this is the whole difference between Christianity, in which we understand that there's evil in the world, and it's going to have its say at times, and the left, which thinks it can basically construct a government big enough to snuff evil out. But let's just take this from another point of view for just a moment, because there's a big narrative fail here. The guy who stopped this killer, and I I haven't even bothered to learn the killer's name because I don't even care what his name is. God knows his name. That's going to He's in enough trouble without me knowing it and without me spreading it around. But the, the guy who shot this bad guy, first of all, it was the government that screwed up, right? This guy had been convicted of beating up his, uh, his wife and his child terribly, beating up this toddler, and he had been cashiered out of the Army, the Air Force, and the Air Force forgot, somehow, neglected, to put that into the records so that he couldn't get a gun because if it had been in the records, it would have shown up on his security check and they wouldn't have given him the gun. So the government Basically, made a mistake because the government is not very competent. It's never very competent, and so that's that's the first thing. So more laws are not going to help if the government can't do its job anyway. The laws were in place. They're also attacking the NRA. But the guy who shot the bad guy, Stephen Wilford, the plumber who lived right around the corner from the church, he was an NRA instructor and of course a gun owner. And he, uh, Steve Crowder, did a great. Our pal Steve Crowder did a great interview with him yesterday, and he talked about where his power came from as he confronted this guy. And by the way, you will notice he's got a kind of white Santa Claus beard on. And the reason he's got this, he's grown, he's a real beard. He's, and the reason he's got that beard on is because every year he and the guys from this Baptist church that was assaulted, they get on their motorcycles and they deliver gifts to uh, kids who don't have anything. And so he grows a big white beard so he'll look a little bit more like Santa Claus. So that's who this guy is. So here his, his description uh, to Crowder of his confrontation with this guy, this is cut number one.
2: My daughter said that he had an AR fifteen, but when I saw him, he had a handgun. Okay. And he had a tactical helmet on, like like a SWAT team would use, with a with a black visor. And he had Kevlar vest, and you could tell it was a bullet vest. He had that on. And and you know I'm a Christian. Sure. And I believe, I believe at that point, and maybe uh, this sounds a little off, just some of your visit their viewers that aren't Christians. I believe the Holy Spirit was on me because I had the presence of mind to look at what was going on, and as we exchanged fire, I noticed that the side was one of those tactical vests that velcros across, meaning he has.
0: Kevlar in the front, Kevlar in the back, nothing in the side. So he saw the opening in the Kevlar and he shot it and he says the Holy Spirit was on him. That's what we're praying for. That's what people are praying for. They're praying that as we go through this incredible torment of life, this, this wild storm of life where the waves are rising, the dark is falling over us. We know what the world is like because Christ told us what the world was like. We're praying that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us and show us where, which, way, which direction we're going in. You know, Uh, Molly Hemingway said this best. She said when we're talking about guns, since we know every time the narrative just collapses, right, the NRA guy is the hero, the God guy is the hero, the God is the hero, God who lifts this guy up and lets him do what he needed to do, all of these left-wing narratives fail, so we're obviously not actually seriously debating whether what they say is any good or not. What Molly Hemingway said was that we're really debating whether government can be big enough to suppress evil. And of course, the answer, as every Christian knows, is no, because evil, this is a world of evil. You know, so, you know, the choice, the choice is not, is not between God and freedom. Like if you're if you believe in God, you're not going to be free. The choice is between whether God is God or government is God. That's really the choice that we're trying to make here. So here at the Daily Wire, it's really interesting. We have so many different kinds of Christian worshipers. And of course, we have Ben, who is a Jewish worshiper. And we've got Knowles, who's a Catholic, and he's always giving Jeremy Boring, who is the God King of the Daily Wire, who has a different point of view. He's always giving them a hard time. and They drive each other crazy and, and in a good way. And, and Jeremy is what's called an antinomian, which I think it means Jeremy believes in God, but he doesn't believe in gnomes. I think that's what, no, that's yeah. not. <laughs> His gnome is from a uh, Greek word meaning law. He believes that Jesus has replaced the Old Testament law, and so that now we are only saved by faith in, in Christ alone. And then there are people involved with the Daily Wire, some of our funders, who believe the exact opposite, who believe that uh, Jesus uh, grafts us on to the, branch of, uh, to the tree of Judaism so that We still have to obey the laws as they're outlined in the Old Testament. And so we have all kinds of different people. And I'm kind of like this little little guy on the side because I come, because it took me 50 years of agnosticism to come to Christ because I would start out from a totally different place without the language and the traditions and all this stuff. Um, I don't care. I don't care whether the transubstantiation... People have burned each other over the question of whether bread and wine actually becomes the substance of Christ, changes its substance to become the body and blood of Christ, or whether it's just symbolic. I'm an artist, so those two things are exactly the same to me, that when something becomes a living symbol, that is its substance changing. If you're a, a, an artist, if that's that's what that means to me, and and of course... It, it doesn't matter to me whether you follow the Catholic Church. I, be, I believe in what's called the Nicene Creed, which is the statement, basically, that comes out of the Catholic Church. What we believe in, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus was killed for us and w- w- uh, resurrected, and will come back to judge the living and the dead, and all these things. I, I can say that uh, that creed without any kind of uh, problem whatsoever. But I don't. I'm, I'm not going to fight over the traditions of any one church, because what I believe in is the events that started this. I don't even take the Bible as, you know, the Bible. Some people worship the Bible as the words themselves. I don't think of it that way at all. I believe that the Bible is a report of something that actually happened, a cosmological, supernatural event that changes everything. The birth, death, preaching, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but we gotta, uh, we're got we going to have to break. So first, let me talk about Tracker. That's what I should talk about. <laughs> I was a little bit off there in the heavens. I had to come back to earth for just a minute so we can keep the lights on. <laughs> I hope you guys will visit our sponsors because they do keep our lights on. This is Tracker, T-R-A-C-K-R. There is no E in Tracker. But Tracker is, this, it's amazing. I am like Totally absent-minded. I forget. I lose everything. If there is a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to be the guy who's going like, I have to get my, you know, my buzz saw. Oh, I forgot. Where did I? Where? Where did I put my? Like, I'd be a zombie in 10 minutes. You know, like I would never be able to find this. But with Tracker, it's the size of a dime, maybe between a dime and a nickel. It's this little device. You put it on your stuff, and it will locate your stuff. So you get a, an app on your phone, and you press the app, and it will turn on the tracker so that it makes a noise. You say, where are my keys? Press the button. You find the keys. Where's my glasses? Press the button. You find your glasses. And if you lose your phone, you press the tracker and the phone starts making a noise. So you can find your phone. It really is a, a, for people like me, it is absolutely great. I've used it any number of times. I've used it an embarrassing number of times, both to find my phone and also to find my keys, which kept falling out of my pocket. They fall out of my pocket because i Pull out my phone and the keys fall out and all stuff. Yeah. So I'm just using it all the time. If you go now to thetracker.com slash Claven, you will get 20% off any order. That's thetracker, T R A C K R.com slash Claven. You get 20% off any order. Thetracker.com slash Claven for 20% off. Thetracker.com slash Claven. And if you lose that money that you saved, you can find it with your tracker. All right, we gotta say goodbye to uh, YouTube and Facebook, but you wanna subscribe, not just because the mailbag is tomorrow, though that is a really good reason to subscribe, Uh, You also want to subscribe because the conversation is coming up, and this time the conversation is with Michael Knowles, and you can ask him, what does he have on us? He'll see if he'll confess to what he has on us that makes us give him all these great jobs, like the Michael Knowles Show and another I mean, we just keep giving him jobs. It's got to be something It's inexplicable. This is on Tuesday, November 14th, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. It's Michael Knowles answering all your questions. It streams live on the Daily Wire website, Facebook page, and YouTube channel, and it'll be free, everyone can watch this. But only subscribers can ask the questions. So subscribe today to ask Michael questions and watch him stare into space as he tries to come up with some kind of answer. Join the conversation—just a lousy ten bucks a month or hundred bucks for the whole year. Plus, you get leftist tears, which fills up. This fills up every time Noel speaks. All right, come on over to thedailywire.com. You can listen to the rest of the show. So, you know, when I say these things about the the Bible just being a report, I believe it's an inspired report. I believe it's the book that God means us to have. And I believe the churches, churches can be these repositories of wisdom. That's why talking to Catholics, by the way, is always so interesting because they have these thousands of years of collected wisdom. And I don't treat any of that stuff lightly. But I do believe that ultimately my conscience, the Holy Spirit working in me is how I make my decisions. So if even people that I just love like the last Pope Benedict or uh, C.S. Lewis when they say something that doesn't quite hold together for me I take it very seriously but I don't always agree so what does this cosmological event mean let's just talk about this just for a minute it means first of all in the resurrection, we see that the moral logic of the world is larger than life, okay? If that's not true, if we just live and are here and we die, then we would be living an entirely different way. And one of the things you see on the left is they do want to live an entirely different way where, you know, sex is a prime value instead of love and where, you know, pleasure is kind of uh, the gu- a guiding light instead of de- uh, instead of what? moral goodness where you don't have any kind of you're not trying to discern the wisdom of god you're just trying to find out what feels right who we are as, as barack obama said that's not who we are who cares and what i keep saying is who cares what we are who we are what do we believe what are we following so that's one thing we believe that the moral value the moral logic of life is bigger than life and there are things that happen in life that are evil that will be turned to good over time if we follow god secondly we believe that we're embodied spirits that the that the flesh is a kind of a language it's not people think that this is a long i won't go into a long philosophical rant about this but basically with descartes people had this idea that there is a spirit and there is the body and these are two separate things and they kind of communicate through some mysterious way but that's not the way to think about it. The way to think about it is that your body is, is like a word that expresses an idea. You know, it's a just like a word expresses an idea. The idea exists without the word, but you can't communicate the idea, you can't embody, you can't incarnate the word without you can't incarnate the idea without the word, in the same way you can't incarnate your spirit without flesh, and so your flesh is a language speaking to you. But like in all languages, it's it's it doesn't quite communicate the full truth, and that's what they mean when they talk about the fact that we are sinful, that we are um, uh, corrupt, that we are not fully translating our souls, our spirits, into into our flesh and that's one of the reasons that so often these conversations come down to sex and I hate that but the reason they come down to sex is because sex is so close to the borderline between spirit and flesh. It's a way of expressing love. It's a way of creating new life but it's also a way of just using that can be used for just using people and hurting people and it drives us to do things that we don't want to do. It's the way that most people know that there's this disparity in them because that is where you do things that you don't want to do. You want things that you don't want to want. You have desire that take you over and do make you know, and you wake up the next morning and you think, "Oh my God, what have I done?" You know, that's the way most people experience their sin because most of us don't have a lot of power. We don't have a lot of power, and it's in power when you have power, when you're set free from the constraints of other people. That's when you start to experience how bad you are. You ever have a? If you have a, a little brother, a little sister, someone who's really smaller than you, you've mistreated them. You have mistreated. That is a place where it, it, I don't think there is anybody who has a, a little brother or little sister who doesn't wake up every now and again at 3 o'clock in the morning and think, you know, I shouldn't have done that when he was 3. You know, I shouldn't have done that. We, because when we have power, we do bad things. So this is the whole thing. Nowadays, you're starting to hear people bring socialism back. You know, they want – the millennials want socialism. It's a really wonderful thing on Campus Reform did this uh, tape where they – a video – Where they interviewed all these kids and they said, yeah, socialism, we like socialism. And then they asked them, what is socialism? So here's just that that clip of what kids answering, what is this thing they want so much? This is cut 14. How
3: would you define socialism? I mean, honestly, that definition
0: gets thrown around a lot. I'm not exactly sure. How would you view what socialism is, though? (laughs) Um. Economically, what is socialism? economically. Mm. <laughs> you can turn it on. All right, we're not going to play the whole thing because I want to bring Christina Hoff Summers on. But uh, the, the the thing is, why are we so opposed to socialism and why does socialism not have God in it? It's because in the Christian understanding of God, we want the power to be dispersed. We always want systems that are going to use our sinfulness for good purposes. That's why we have marriage. Marriage uses you know, ch- channels the sexual urge into good purposes. The same thing with capitalism. Theoretically, it channels your urge to acquire things, to get power, to get it. It channels your greed. It, it channels your greed into. Uh, you know, building stuff and inventing stuff and making stuff that actually the the other people in the world want. When you have socialism, you transfer all the property to the government and people think, you know, the left thinks, oh, well, that's going to be great because the government will save us. But the government just becomes a bunch of powerful people and it becomes the center of power where power is centered. And that's why socialism always ends. You know, this is a good time to talk about this because this is the anniversary of the Russian Revolution. This is the day on which the Russian Revolution was won by the communists, sparking, a movement that has resulted in somewhere between 60 million and 160 million deaths, and it suppressed God everywhere it went, and that was the result. And so we already know what a world without God looks like. All right, let us bring on Christina Hoff-Sommers. She is one of our favorite guests, and I'm sorry, it's been a long time since we had her on. She's a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, wrote a tr- terrific book called Who Stole Feminism, and another terrific book called The War Against Boys, she hosts hosts a video blog on YouTube called The Factual Feminist, and you can find her at C H Summers S O M M E R S on uh, Twitter. Christina, it's good to see you again. Can you hear me?
3: Yes. How are you? <laughs>
0: All right. I'm sorry it's been so long since I've seen you. We've had so much has happened here. I neglected to bring you on, but I always uh, there, I always think that you're somebody I want to be asking questions of because your factual feminism is really a, a welcome. Uh, A welcome perspective. Let's put it that way. Um, So I want to talk to you first. I want to get to Harvey Weinstein, some of the sex scandals that uh, I've been sort of dealing with a little bit in Hollywood. But I want to start by asking you, you wrote this wonderful book called The War Against Boys. And I talk a lot about the war against manhood. Is that still going on? And is it, are they winning? Is the war, are, are men losing the war against men?
3: I think so, and very little has changed for young men in school. They're still falling behind, um, and yet there seem to be no efforts to strengthen them. We had programs to strengthen girls when they were behind in math and science. There has been nothing for little boys in everything else, reading, writing, school engagement, college matriculation. And there, But worse than that, there is now a kind of um, vigilante feminism a loose on campus where men are guilty because accused, and um, I see no change there. If anything, it's intensifying. So, on the campus, you have more and more women, and fewer and fewer men. And uh, the women still think of themselves as victims, put upon. Not I say the women. Don't mean the women. This is not the majority. <laughs> it's a small but very vocal group. You know, from the women's center, the intersectional feminists, and they have a very negative view of, of masculinity.
0: Do Do you see, aside from the obvious, um, you know, I the obvious points of of men getting f- fewer places in college, uh, being tormented by these kangaroo courts over sexual harassment. Right. What What about in personal lives? Do you Do you study this at all? Like, what What is the effect of this kind of feminism on the average person's personal life?
3: I I think so many young men must be confused. A friend of mine has a son that just started Princeton this year as a freshman, and she thinks he's afraid of girls. (laughs) He's very active, very lively, very wonderful young man, but just uh, so worried that if he says anything or is misinterpreted, Maybe he'll outgrow that. He's a freshman. But (laughs) I would be if I had a son in college right now, I would be very worried. Again, the majority of girls aren't hysterics. They're not neurotic, but maybe as many as 10 or 20 percent. They take one too many of these gender studies courses, which are tend to be male phobic. And, uh, encourage this kind of what I call fainting couch feminism. (laughs) I grew up and still believe in feminism that asserts equality with men. Fainting couch feminism wants protection from them and, and treats women as if they're fragile birds who can't cope. Now stipulate life is full of danger and there are pathological criminals. And I would consider Harvey Weinstein to be one, um, but this is not the male norm. But what the, what you will see, and this is happening in social media right now, it's happening on campus, they will take the worst case sort of male predator and hold him up as if he's an exemplar of the entire gender.
0: Well, that, that's kind of what is happening out here right now. I mean, it is... You know, the, it's funny. I was talking to someone I work with in the in the film business uh, yesterday, and he was telling me that the they're having daily meetings now, as as predators are caught and people who have harassed women for years are caught and fired. Uh, for instance, if an agent gets fired, then all his clients are now free. So they're trying to find out who's going to go next, so they can scoop up all his clients. I mean, that, that's
3: well. How- it, you know, it begins to sound a lot like McCarthyism. It's a kind it of does. sexual McCarthyism. Yeah. Now there were. Communists in the State Department, there were Communists uh, who were on the payroll of, uh, you know, the Communist Party in Moscow. But there were a majority of people who were accused, were not dangerous people, yet they were harmed by the scare. And I think we're seeing it again. I think we will look back. I think a lot of innocent people are going to be ruined, uh, all because of this twisted politics gender politics and this kind of moral panic
0: hmm. i when when feminists come out and they do this and they do it certainly online a lot and they blame for instance harvey weinstein on this new phrase they always come up with they're such so good at coming up with these condemnatory phrases they have this phrase toxic masculinity uh, what what is what do you think is the result of that for people like me? I, I'm I'm so old fashioned. I actually ascribe to the uh, laws of being a gentleman. I mean, you and I are kind of you and I have a, a, I a Venn diagram where <laughs> we sort of meet. But I I am an old fashioned gentleman. And I and so, I, and one of the things I miss is I miss why was there no boyfriend or husband here who just punched Harvey Weinstein's lights out? I mean, I I don't un, I understand where the the. That I could have used a little bit more of that toxic masculinity just to, to shut a guy like this down. But well, what is-
3: yes, in fact, that's what you will find that men are as much or more horrified by Harvey Weinstein. I mean, right. they can't uh, stand him and want to. And yet somehow that did not apply in Hollywood. And you know, the 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 all the moralizers in Hollywood telling the rest of us how to live, and yet they this This was able to persist for years. And again, this is not low level teasing or flirting or you know not I mean, this was criminal predatory behavior. Yes. I mean, if these cases are true, and when you get in a case like Cosby or Weinstein, you have so many women coming forward. Uh, it's very, you know, I do believe in due process and innocent until proven guilty. but, that's true in a court of law, but in public opinion yeah. we don't have to obey that in cases where there's such, you know, tangible evidence from so many people. So uh, there is such a thing as toxic masculinity or pathological masculinity, but it is not that there's also healthy masculinity. Well, and a healthy healthy masculinity is characterized by not exploiting and and, and tormenting women, but uh, having feelings of, of respect and protectiveness, and um, not tearing things apart, but building. Toxic masculinity is something very different, and it's a yeah. mistake to attribute that to most men.
0: So this this is one of the things I actually wanted to ask you: is what what is it? It, it seems right now that that people have. A, a societal guidelines on what to teach girls they should be strong they should be fearless they should be this but but no guidelines on what to teach boys now you're you're a mom right i mean what what do you think mothers should teach their boys about being men well first of all
3: it's a mistake to think that you can turn them into girls uh-huh. and what i see in the schools and what I see coming from gender theory is, oh, well, if we just gave boys dolls and nurturing toys <laughs> and we didn't allow them to play cops and robbers, uh, that encourages this toxicity. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There is a way to raise a boy which is respectful of his young masculine nature, which is to teach him to be a gentleman, to teach him to be a good sport, to teach you have to open up a boy's heart. and But you can't do that. It's not quite the same. With a girl, with a girl, both children, male and female, need character education, moral education, you know, good examples. But it's uh, with a boy, you, you have to respect his young manhood. And I do think through sportsmanship and relationship with coaches and fathers are very important. We're not hearing much about that, uh, as well as um, this idea of a gentleman. And when I wrote The War Against Boys, I interviewed boys. And uh, from all sorts of different subcultures across, you know, surfers in in Los Angeles and urban kids in in D.C., and they all uh, like the idea of being a gentleman. They didn't quite know how
0: to do it, (laughs) but they
3: it 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 means something positive to them. I think that we could work with that. So, and both my boys are gentlemen. Yeah, (laughs) not that they're. You know, perfect, but they are kind and considerate and respectful of women.
0: And I, here's here's a philosophical question that I want to ask you because it's it's kind of bothering me. Recently, I read a novel called Submission, which is I think the masterpiece of a very fine French novelist whose name I can't pronounce, but it's something like Michel Houellebecq. Uh, and it
3: yeah, I'm afraid of that book. <laughs> is it good? I, I thought it was <laughs>
0: terrific. I thought it was terrific and memorable oh, and right. deeply mm-hmm. disturbing. Yeah, and it's about uh, the. The Islamic takeover of France, and one of, one of the points he makes in the book is that Islam offers patriarchy, and patriarchy works, and it made me it, it made me think back on the famous book from the eighties uh, called "The Closing of the American Mind," in which the mm-hmm. author says, Alan Bloom. "Yeah, Alan Bloom says uh, that that patriarchy essentially he doesn't use that term, but he says the patriarchy we, we is not fair." But it worked, and we may wish there was something to replace it, but there may not be. He doesn't say there isn't, but he says there may not be. And that kind of is what submission puts forward, that, that when Islam comes in, the guys are kind of going, yeah, this works. This, this will work. And what we had before didn't work and was empty and it had no moral value. Do you think that there is something if, – if the patriarchy must go, is there something to replace it? Is there an idea that can replace it and still have uh, normal, uh, fruitful relationships between men and women?
3: Yes, I think that uh, sort of you know an enlightened democracy that we have more or less. It's not perfect, but if you look around, most just think most workplaces, men and women get along. Yeah. I mean there's there you don't don't believe the, the, the don't buy into the moral panic that it's all just uh, you know predatory behavior and this hidden this hidden state of siege. Women are living in it. it, it it's not true. And I think that we have to be realistic. We may, you know, in the, Hollywood obviously needs to do something and they need a, you know, an HR department for the whole industry,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, but uh, it, in, overall, rather quickly, men and women were, you know, found one another in the workplace. And now most workplaces are, uh, you know, co-ed. <laughs> and uh, in colleges and so forth, and it works. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to our, our we're, I mean, do people, I, I listen to some of these the feminists who I think are quite hysterical. I mean, do they want us to start wearing burqas or to have separate lives from men because they're so dangerous? And, and well, no, they say, we just have to, you know, what, what? Put them in workshops or <laughs> again, change little boys to, from their nature. It's, that's not going to happen but we do have a time honored method that works which is as i said sort of raising considerate children and raise young men to be gentlemen and of course it helps if the if young women are dare i say it ladies yeah <laughs> and, um, and and you know what they where i where i i visit colleges all the time there are crazy kids protesting but the kids that invite me that i go out to dinner with i still see well-behaved young people getting along and
0: yes. working together. I, I see that a lot too. And I do hear, you know, women uh, saying, yes, I have been harassed by jerks, but so many men have also mentored me and brought me forward and have treated me That's with respect. That's the point. Yeah.
3: That's the main point. We can all, we've all known troglodytes. We can name them. But right. I, when I, in my lectures, I tell, when women start complaining about, oh, this man did that. I said, okay, I know there are bad char- characters out there but how many men did the opposite? How many men supported you? Hmm. How many men were, you know, encouraging to you and helpful to you and friends to you? And I, I, the vast majority of women, it would be most of the men they know. So we've got to keep, you know, common sense at the center of this discussion. But Social media doesn't help. <laughs>
0: no, it doesn't. You know? It's kind of it's <laughs> like the matrix of uh, stupidity. It's true. Christina Summers, <laughs> right. thank you very much for coming on. The Factual Feminist. Find her at C-H-S-O-M-M-E-R-S on Twitter. Is there anywhere else people should look for you?
3: Uh, the Factual Feminist on YouTube. On
0: YouTube. That's a YouTube it's, channel. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, C-H
3: Summers.
0: All right. Well, I hope, it, I hope it won't be too so long before I see you again. It's always a pleasure talking to you.
3: Lovely talking to you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. All right, that leads us uh, naturally into sexual follies, right? I can't stand it. All right, so, so my daughter Faith Moore, did I did I send in the uh, the the thing about the woman who married herself? Do I have? Did we? Did I give you that? Uh, I don't think so. Oh no. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll just go to the. Oh, we do. Oh, we do have it. Okay, good. The, my daughter, Faith Moore, has a uh, writes uh, kind of uh, feature pieces at PJ Media, and she has a piece about this woman. We've talked about this solog- sologamy, <laughs> where women marry, people marry themselves. So here is a woman who married uh, herself and then found that she was cheating on herself with a man. <laughs> so here here's her description of that experience. So, I think that is the main point of confusion, is that self-marriage is about self-love, and it's saying that self-compassion and self-care is as important as romantic love. It doesn't mean you're rejecting all other meaningful relationships in your life and becoming a nun forevermore. OK. It means you're reject- rejecting bad relationships. So, is that, is that not something that <laughs> one should feel about themselves anyway, and so you don't really need to go through a whole ceremony? Absolutely, if only there was a bit more self-love in the world. But this is a sort of statement which looks to raise the profile of self-love saying it's as important it's as romantic real. love. So you um, don't and you should. don't have to get divorced from yourself if you marry someone else. Absolutely not. Like, you know, marrying yourself is a, is a long-life commitment to be responsible for your own happiness. So yes. divorce is not an option. Of course.
2: Right. So then Rory comes along and you meet Rory <laughs> and you had a lovely relationship. <laughs>
1: Lovely ish. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, lovely Yeah, yeah for Rory, a couple
2: of months. Rory had come from a very different world, whereas uh, Sophie had sort of made this decision to just look after herself and focus on herself. You'd come from a world where goes. You can goes. have your cake and eat it. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, that's what polyamory attempts to do at least. Uh, does it achieve it? Well, uh no, I don't think so. No, because I think it's not just trying to have your cake and eat it, it's trying to have several cakes and that's too many cakes. And you had a tattoo done. Can we see the tattoo? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's right here if you want to have and a is it. And it's a tattoo. There we go.
0: There we are. Me. It's a
2: heart
0: and it's <laughs> That's great. That's great. What I like about this is like when you marry yourself and you fall in love with someone else, you actually are cheating on yourself because the whole dire premise that you need to express uh, your love for yourself is mistaken to begin with. You should really begin by, you know, you're supposed to love others as you love yourself because you already love yourself. You know, you already care about the good. What that means is you care that good things happen to you and you uh, care for your own good and your own uh, health and your own welfare. And that to learn to do that to other people is the big trick of marriage. You don't need to marry yourself. You actually need to marry someone else to learn over the course of a lifetime what it means to love someone else as you love yourself. Alright, I'm going to New York, so tomorrow I'm going to be broadcasting from a hotel room, uh, a secret hotel room, but beneath the earth, I think. <laughs> beneath the ground. So that should be kind of interesting. We've got the mailbag. You've got to send in your questions today. Go to the website, hit the podcast hit Andrew Claven and there is a mailbag icon. Put your questions in there. You have to subscribe for a lousy ten bucks a month. I will answer them all. All my answers will be true. They will change your life, maybe for the better. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Claven Show.